Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Catholic Talk Show. We got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about what happens when we die. Yeah, bad news, everyone out there listening. The fact is that you are going to die. But the good news is we're going to talk about what happens when you do, what heaven looks like, how your soul is judged, and what certain saints who have seen heaven describe what heaven is like. So welcome to the Catholic Talk Show Cemetery Edition here today. <laughs> and ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Let's get this thing going. All right. Man, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, excited. Ryan's excited to talk about death. I love it. He's so Bones. morbid. He's always talking about death. But is yes. death is talking about death morbid for Christians? Is it really? <laughs> well, I, I think of my we buddy. are an Easter people, Padre. I know, and Alleluia is our song. I'm thinking of my buddy Jay Sibley. You know, he, he's got this Grim Reaper on his shoulder and with this pit bull attached to a chain, you know, barking on his arm. Like that was his tattoo? first tattoo. Yeah, that was his first tattoo. I like it. And, uh, but yeah, like the, the fascination with the Grim Reaper. No, but man, everybody's fascinated about this. You know, I mean, they want to know what happens to their loved ones. Like we well, talked about dogs on another episode where, you know, they go to heaven. Like, this is a very, this is a curious thing. I'm excited to talk about well, it. Well, if you believe statistics, Statistics and, and and in this case, I do believe the statistic, but uh, statistics say that one in one dies. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that we all need to come to grips with and really uh, talk about. Now, before we talk about what's going to happen when you die, Father, <laughs> specifically when I die, yes, okay. you kind of look like the Grim Reaper there. <laughs> all right. So before we talk about what happens when you also die, Ryan, mm -hmm. come on, bring it. Yeah. And I am. Bring and it. All I you am. listeners. Um, Here's something that's going to give you maybe hopefully a little more of an extension of life is by going to catholictalkshow.com and making sure you subscribe to us. Uh, follow us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. And if you don't... You that, may that, die a premature death. That, I don't that, know. Yeah, possibly. Well, that's quite a promise there, now, guys. I'm the other sure thing, that one thing that you okay can that. do. You're dying to subscribe, so just subscribe already. <laughs> now, one thing you can do to help give this show more life and to make sure that this show does not die uh, <laughs> is by going to patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show and uh, maybe consider supporting us. Um, your support enables us to continue making this show. Uh, you get all kinds of cool bonuses. You get bonus content. There's... Uh, really cool hoodies. There's hats, there's hats, cups. all kinds of cool things that you can mm -hmm. get, uh, as gratitude from us for helping us to make the show continue to go on. So patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. Please do that. Cool. Blessed Charles Foucault, the desert spirituality of this awesome man yeah. that lived in the 20th century, this Parisian playboy turned mystic overnight, right? He would recommend time and time again, 30 minutes a day of meditating on your own death. 
Wow. And and there's a number of other mystics as well who would recommend that as well. Because when you think about it, when you think about death, it gives you a perspective on life and your eternal soul mm. and what you're doing day to day. Yeah, before his conversion, he was like, he was looking at everything that he was doing. He's like, full cult, all those things I was doing. <laughs> Funny. Uh, Funny. No, there is, there really is a tradition within the church of coming to terms with your death and, and understanding that you are going to die and embracing it and that every day you should remind yourself that you are going to die. And that is, um, that tradition in general is summed up in memento mori, which remain, which means in Latin, remember that you will die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, th and this is like the, the medieval Latin church, you know, this is medieval Latin Christianity as it was expressed. When you look at the art of that period of time, everything revolves around death. How many times are you going around a museum in Rome or, or in some of those sections that were come out of that period of time of artist art? And, um, it's all skulls. Yeah. And it's all death. There's a church in, in Rome that has all bones on it. Mm -hmm. Like there's yeah. a lot of those churches. Yeah. Uh, there's in Czech Republic and, and the catacombs, um, in, in Paris. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the art and back then life was much more tenuous and people I think had a better relationship with death back then, uh, because it was something that could happen at any moment. You know, there wasn't antibiotics or medicine. You get a toothache and you're dead. Right. You know, yeah. And that, you, 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 get a, you get a scab and you die what from that, it. What was that? Uh, it's movie, bad. Right? What was that movie? Was it Monty Python is Holy Grail? Where he was like, bring out your dead. Pretty yeah. much. Bring yeah. out your dead. Yeah. But I think that's what it was like. I mean, there was there was death everywhere around you, and you yeah. saw it in the streets, yes. literally. So it wasn't something that was hiding in the night. It was mm -hmm. something in your face, and you yeah. had to stare it down. And they had the relationship with death where they had things like... And the, smell it. The, the dance macabre, right? And in their art, they would show people dressed up like bishops and whatever, having dances with death, whatever. But well, we all come to terms with the finality of, of our lives in different ways. And, and, you know, you see it a lot in like the longevity uh, market, consumeristic, you know, people, you know, anti-aging medicine or, you know, whatever, cryogenic, whatever. Right. So so we all have one that's an innate. It's innate in us. Like we all have a relationship sort of with with this finality of our of our lives here on on Earth. And it's kind of interesting how that plays out how it's lived and and so this perspective the one of faith is really hinged upon this this great triumphant like in in goal which is heaven you know and and a lot of people are wondering like so what's this tweener state here like where do we you know what does that look like you know and so it's kind of cool we're going to talk about some saints today that have had visions that pretty pretty yeah and they're so amazing. illuminating i mean yeah. the, the fact that god gave this these privileged visions to these saints is very helpful to the body of christ because it gives us an Comfort. understanding that you know what there's something good that's that's beyond that veil mm -hmm. that isaiah talks about yeah. it's beyond the veil of death and that's what we're going to be talking about in this show right so uh, everyone i think uh, intrinsically fears dying um, and that's just a natural instinct of the human person. But I think the deeper you get within your faith, the less fear you have of death. You, you really should. And uh, one book, uh, we're not going to get really get into it, but one book that everyone should read is called The Art of Dying Well by St. Robert Bellarmine. Hmm. And it, it, it teaches you to prepare for your death because it, 
guys, it's it's coming. You're going to die. And it's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen today. It could happen. You heard it here. Oh, oh right. No. He's back. He's back. <laughs> you know, but Gosh, you, it, comes like, it comes like a thief in the night. And you don't know when it's going to happen. So um, before we get into everything, just, you know, be prepared for it. Have your soul ready, right? You never know. Um, the bridegroom is long delayed and he can come at any time. So, oh. But get right. You do not know the time nor the hour, good sir. But Christians really should not fear death. Um, it's natural to fear it, but we're trying to help you get over that. So what actually does happen when you die? What happens? Your soul is uh, separated from your body and your body ex- experiences physical death. Okay, well, we know what happens to a physical body. We've probably all been to funerals. It mm-hmm. sits there. It's a body. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an empty shell. Right. It goes through the physical functions of what happens when an organism dies. It decays, breaks down, or unless you're a saint, you know, becomes incorrupt. Right. All right. Um, But what about what about your your soul? What happens upon death then? What does the church teach? (sighs) Mm -hmm. So the church teaches that upon your death, your soul undergoes what is called the particular judgment. Now. The particular judgment is different than the the final end, the final judgment the, right. gen, the judgment at the end of the world, and basically your soul is um, held accountable for the the things that you've done in your life immediately, and you receive your penance. reward or your penance <laughs> or your punishment. And how do we know that? How, so how do we know? But it can't be final though. Right. It, it, it's particular. So there's a, there's it is a, final. Okay. It's final. you that judgment is final, okay. right? That's not the last judgment. The last judgment is, is different. The last judgment is what happens at the end of the world where all people who are living are held accountable. And then the, uh, resurrection of the bodies happens mm-hmm. and the new heavens and the new, new earth. heavens, new earth and all things pass away. That's mm-hmm. the different, that's the last judgment. Right. But the particular judgment is what happens when you die. Now, uh, a lot of uh, Protestant or fundamentalists will look at certain lines in Ecclesiastes and say the dead know nothing. And that's why they refute the uh, idea that the saints can pray for us because they're dead. And Mary's dead. And Mary can't pray for you because she's dead. Right. Right. That's how they act. It's a good accent. It is. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> there is, I've got to get that down. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, son. Mary's dead. She can't go well, praying for you, old man. She'll. Dead and laying in the grave, right? That's what they talk like. <laughs> <laughs> or that, or they're very, well, Mary is dead and she does not pray for you. <laughs> but how do we know that when a person's dead, they actually do get their uh, particular judgment and they're not yeah. waiting for the last judgment like some Christian uh, denominations teach? Well, if we look at the Bible, um, there's some very instructive things. So, you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, two people die. Uh, one is... The rich man asking for cool water, Lazarus, who is in heaven, looking down on him. Well, we know that they are receiving their judgments, right, in this story, but the last judgment has not happened. So therefore, we know there's souls there, right? Right. Seems to make sense. Good deduction. Right. Oh, yes. Are you at? Are you at? Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> Feel free to chime in anytime here, guys. I'm just listening. I, you know. So, but then also in Hebrews 9.27, it says, just as it is appointed that human beings die once and after this, the judgment. I mean, scripture tells us very clearly that 
there is immediate or when Jesus is on the cross and he's looking to St. Dismas. And he said, amen, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't amen, I say to you, in the fulfillment of time and at the last judgment, you will, according to my Protestant followers, finally have your judgment. But until then, you're kind of in mothballs. That's that's not what theology is. Think about, you know, Dismas there. On the cross. St. Dismas is awesome. He's yeah, one of my favorites. I, I just love, I love that. There's a movie too. So I think St. Dismas yeah. that was really neat back in like the forties or fifties or something. Yeah. But, um, you think about that memento mori that here Dismas is, he's obviously confronted with, you know, death. God. It's happening right now. Yeah. And in he's, that experience, he leans on the person of Christ, the son of God, who is so confidently approaching death. So there's a difference of confidence here. And where is Dismas in his confidence? He doesn't really have any, but he, he speaks out and begging Christ himself, who clearly has this confident gaze at death. And then that promise, right? You so know, remember me, like, remember your death, but you're saying, remember me, right? So awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, they're the good, the good thief and the bad thief. For the good thief, obviously Saint Dismas, the bad thief, justice, according to tradition. And I, I just I love the idea that the bad or the impenitent thief, when faced with his death on a cross, has to be taken down from the cross. But the good thief, Saint Dismas, has to be taken up to heaven. And it really was accepting your accepting your death. Right. Yeah. But those types of things show that, no, there is the particular judgment. And immediately upon death, your soul is judged. It's not something that it's waiting till the end of the time uh, where there's like a long dormition. That's not the case. Uh, I, scripturally, I think it has supported uh, the Catholic, the Catholic theological position that your soul goes immediate judgment. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens when you die immediately it goes to judgment. Now. Depending on how that goes, <laughs> there's some options, right? So no, number one, you can go to H-E double hockey sticks, right? Now, we did an episode on what hell is like. Uh, you can go a few episodes back. You can go listen to that. Um, then there's also purgatory. And we're going to get into an episode particularly on purgatory at another time. So wait for that one. Mm-hmm. You guys missed the joke. Wait for it. Oh, oh wait. Oh, yeah. that's good. Uh, see, not, I need see it loses coffee. the thunder. It's very <laughs> subtle. It's very subtle. Um, but then there's that third option, which is heaven. Great gig in the sky, right? Yeah. So what is that like? What do you guys think of when you think of heaven? Haven't been to heaven, but I heard the streets are paved of gold. There you go. That's what he thinks about heaven. <laughs> so that's an old spiritual right there. I, I did not know that one. Yeah. Gold roads. The golden roads. No, I, I think of I think of a place of perfect integrity and perfect unity yeah. in spirit and heart and consciousness. Because if there is no resurrection of the body yet in this experience of what heaven is now, before the final judgment and before the new heavens and the new earth. And where our bodies are resumed and, and glorified. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of a place of perfect integrity and unity with God and all that is. And 
even that trans transcends what heaven is into the present day earth. Like you think of a mother Teresa who's like, I want to spend my heaven on earth, you know, doing good and Saint being Teresa of Lisieux. Saint Teresa of Lisieux. But, uh, to, to, um, uh, mother Teresa though said something very, very similar in respect to being a light to those who are in darkness. So th- that same type of, um, you know, desire in the heart of Therese of Lisieux, doctor of the church, Mother Teresa, is that same reality. And somehow, you know, in the intercession of the saints and, and the spiritual realities of our faith, that they're present and they are they are at work still in intercessory uh, value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, you know, like physically speaking, it's a pl- it's, it's a place, right? Like, you know, it's also... <laughs> You know, God uses, you know, physical realities to explain that there's a house that I've got a room for you, right? Then you have, you know, Adam and Eve in in a garden when they were created by God in this perfect unity with God, right? So it's not like we're all just, I mean, I personally feel like it's not just some place where we're just constantly in adoration of just this great love, but we're actually sharing in in a place, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like, exactly, I feel like it's more of a state of being. Yeah. Than than like, you know, anything else, because in within oneself, when I'm celebrating mass. Right. And I'm I'm praying, you know, the sacred words and I'm praying the words of institution. I'm participating in a reality that transcends the present location that I'm celebrating that mass. It transcends the present community, maybe 100, maybe 500, maybe 5,000, whatever it is. It's more than that. It's like it's outside of time. It's outside of, you know, physical boundaries. The state of being of what we will experience in heaven is something so much more. So but is, is heaven outside of time? Is heaven outside of time as we know it on earth? Yeah, obviously, yes. Absolutely. But, but there is, there, a logic would dictate that there does have to be a passage of time in heaven because there's people who will be going to heaven who are not in there now. Mm-hmm. So there is some semblance of sequentiality in heaven that does not exist here. That's fair. But there is the passage of time in heaven. I just look at it as movement and not not time. And but, but, I, but it would have but to I be sequentiality of, because people who are not there now will be there. How often have you had the experience of being on the phone with someone or being in the presence of someone that you were like madly in love with or with somebody Just that you really... Just wife. Well, that's what I mean. And, and I'm sure that you've had that experience. I know you've had that experience with Jen. And, you know, I've had that experience a number of relationships that I've had where, you know, everything stops and time is passing without any type of recognition. And you're not thinking, you're like, oh my gosh, I was in adoration one time working with like 50 kids in this retreat that we have in the Diocese of St. Augustine. And we were in adoration literally for three and a half hours. Wow. And not one kid or anybody considered it at all. We were in a state of worship. We were in a state of prayer so deep that that amount of time Time passed. And the kids, and these are like, 15, 16, 17 year olds, three and a half and, hours. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, that was three and a half hours. Yeah. That was the most amazing experience of my life. I look at that. That gives a little foretaste of what heaven is yeah. because it's not a calculating of, you know, oh, I got to be here for the next right. 25 minutes or, you know, whatever. Right, right. It's, it, it's almost absolved. Like time is absolved in the movement mm. of experience of, of the purity of love and integrity and being together. So what does what does heaven actually look like? So what, in your mind, if you had to paint a picture of heaven, what would you paint? What does it look like? Light, 
light, beauty, and color. You know, I there's a really cool video that CNN did, I think, on Akiana, the painter. Have you ever yeah, heard of that girl? Yeah, yeah. You know, she started she started drawing it like the age of four, mm. these unbelievable things. And then throughout her childhood, and she would express that she had these visions. And it's private revelation that I'm not held to. I don't have to believe this. Look, oh, that's, that's you fine. asked you, him a question. He's yeah, answering. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm being, <laughs> I'm being the stick, man. When she was when she was questioned by the interviewer, she said, "In heaven, there are so many colors that are not here on earth." Yeah. And that was so convicting when she said that. Because here's you know she's a young kid when she was being interviewed. Now she's probably in her twenties or something yeah. like that, or thirties. But um, fascinating to consider that light can then emanate only this reflective nature off of the realities of heaven and produce light and beauty super, in ways that, It's like super reality. Yeah. I was you ever a, see The Great Divorce? You ever read that book? It's, it's C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, it. of course. And, and you've, you've got literally this exchange between heaven and earth, right? And <clears throat> what happened was like the reality, the like the grass hurt my feet. Like you, you start this super reality that, you know, the human person coming into is just like, it's, you know, it's really real. You know, it's not like real. It's like really it's like beyond reality, right. most real. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's so, that's a good point. Yeah, I think of Sagrada book. Familia. I've never been there. I'm hoping to go there. Ooh. I'm going on the Camino with Focus Ministries yeah. this summer. And leading a pilgrimage on the way to with Santiago your, with, de Compostela. With those feet? With I know I've got oh. plantar fasciitis. You got to get those things. I've been complaining about my feet all morning. I know. <laughs> you better start doing some foot exercises. If anyone, knows, if everyone knows a good Instead uh, of sitting foot down, personal I need to, trainer. I need to just do this for the rest of the, the, the microphone works like this. Yeah. Just kind of do my calf raises. That's incredibly go. distracting. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to sit back down. Um, no, but like Sagrada Familia, right? This church... It's a magnificent church that's been under construction for what, like a hundred, hundred years. Yeah. A hundred years almost. Wow. So, but I've seen pictures and I've heard testimonies of people going into that church in Barcelona, Spain, and the colors that are coming through the stained glass windows and the experience of people immersed in the beauty of this architectural design that reflects the glory of God and gives a foretaste of heaven. I could only imagine like the smell of incense the colors of the stained glass windows, the lights refracting mm. through them and just sitting there in it and just being like, oh. absorbed, absorbed yeah. and everything in my life of just disturbance yeah. or, you know, distraction or, or, you know, lack of communion or hurt or pain will just kind of melt away in the yeah. midst of that prayerful, prayerful moment. So I look at heaven like that, these little foretastes in life give us a, a picture of what will be in eternity. So that's a, that is actually a common thing that people who have had a vision of heaven um, <clears throat> say that there's colors there that don't exist on earth. That is a very, very common thing to have for people who have seen or claim to have seen heaven to say. I was um, I was at a shrine nearby where I live and it was a you know, dark gray day and I was doing like a walking rosary and uh, this little nun comes up behind me, scared the crap out of me. I'm like, oh my, <laughs> why? Right? She terrified me. And she's like, sweet sister. Yeah. So then she starts talking to me and we got into this conversation. She said that one of the older sisters had uh, flatlined, died, but then came back and was, you know, revived yeah. and uh, talking about it. And she's just like, the colors there, they, they don't exist on earth. And it's, it's uh, just absolutely indescribable. I mean, try to imagine another color that doesn't exist. You can't. There's also a supernatural reality. You learn it from Father Spitzer's research on end of life phenomenon. They did studies on this stuff. And 
just to be able to get into the study that the person who died had to have had some sort of grasp on something that happened when they were dead in the room that they were in. Right. And so, you know, these people would come back and say, yeah, one of on one of the cases, the doctor put something like keys or something in a drawer after this person passed away. And then she came back and they're like, where are the keys? And this lady's like, well, you put them in the drawer. So that was one of the phenomenons of, and that's not heaven necessarily, but it's still, it's it's still in that reality that we're talking about and, and being absorbed or whatever it is, there still is a connection right now to what's going on in, in the, earthly reality, mm-hmm. right? So here's, here's a couple of things that saints have said that heaven looked like. Now, I think when most people think of heaven, they think of golden gates and golden streets and clouds. And I think a lot of that imagery comes from the description of the new heaven from, I'm sorry, the new Jerusalem from the book of Revelations or the golden gates with St. Peter. Um, but St. Saint, uh, Saint John Bosco, uh, he had a vision of heaven and he said that it was, uh, again, it was the colors it was he said they were like jeweled colors everywhere and that even um even the flowers glisten in weird jeweled tone supernatural glory and he said it was just cool. it was more than the human mind could uh take and that it, he said that even even like tree stems were brighter than the sun but were still able to be completely seen that glory itself real glory is incomprehensible to the human mind and it shows itself as light Mm. I now, like it. I think I'd like to go there. Now, St. Mm. Faustina, now she said, this is out of her diary, uh, diary 777. Look at that. Wow. I love St. Faustina. I know you do. You talk about big her Big crush. Lot. I've got a big yeah, crush on St. So she says, I was in heaven and I saw its inconceivable beauties and the happiness that awaits us after death. I saw, I saw how all creatures give ceaseless praise and glory to God. And how great is happiness in God, which spreads to all creatures, making them happy. And that all glory and praise springs from happiness, returns to its source. So it's a, a cyclical source of happiness. This is why St. Fo- I'm sorry, is the quote? The source of happiness is unchanging in its essence, but is always new, gushing forth happiness for all creatures. Now, the thing that I love about St. Faustina she wasn't thoroughly educated and like received a doctorate or she wasn't like a St. Teresa Benedicta of the cross. Like she's, a saint of the pe- she's a saint of the people. She's a saint of, and a mystic. So like a lot of her theological positing is happening through her prayerful intimacy with Christ and these revelations that she received. But I believe like her education stopped formally at the age of like 13 or 14 years old. Which was common back which then. Which was common back yeah. then. It's common but, now. But what's Awesome is she's in argumentation right now to be a doctor of the church, wow. which is so fitting. And there's Thomas, which I know that you would love this because you're totally a Thomist. Um, but you know, these, these theologians, it's, the <laughs> it's gotta be the beard. I, I don't have a, I don't have a Thomas beard. I nah, guess you have a, you have a <laughs> soap opera beard. We've already established that. <laughs> oh gosh, but, that's good. But, <laughs> but you know, people who are such scholars in St. Thomas and his deposit of faith and his ministry and his, his, uh, writings say that St. Faustina is one of the greatest, greatest Thomists in history. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating because the exitus at Reditus is right there and exactly what she's saying so provocatively in the quote that you just had from 777 When, in when her you guys diary. say Latin stuff, can you you say it in English too for people like me? <laughs> well, I it's like, this, it's like almost this Trinitarian procession of like the father creates 
all that is. And it comes back to, and then it returns. So gotcha. the ready to, so the exitus is like almost like an exit, right? Yeah. Like the creative, yeah. the creative act of God. Yeah. And then the ready to is the redemptive act of Jesus Christ returning drawing it, it yeah. to the father, so drawing all that is actively redeeming it and bringing it back to the father, giving it back in this movement so it's the cyclical movement, the exitus of reditus. It's the gotcha. same cyclical she's movement that she's that. sharing yeah. that's reflected in life and death. Now, Thomas, now St. Thomas Aquinas, he had a vision of heaven also. Huh. And we all know St. Thomas Aquinas' great work, right? Yeah. Summa. Absolutely. She, and this De is Malo. Just, this is just considered absolutely just by far the, the standard for theology. But did you know it's incomplete? Mm. Do you know why it's incomplete? Because he's had this vision of heaven and he's like, it's straw. Yeah. Everything I've written means there's nothing, nothing to compared to what I've seen. Mm -hmm. So he spent a whole life being the, the, probably the greatest mind of Western right. tradition. Yeah. And just one vision of heaven, everything that he'd ever done was meaningless to him. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful heaven is and how starkly contrasted it is to our human life and understanding. I hope my son's not listening to this. He's a little bit lazy at school. He'd be like, dad, I heard your <laughs> podcast. And like, I don't need to do my homework now. Why? It's, it's like, even, even it. if Thomas Aquinas said it's straw. It's all straw. <laughs> Joe, what, is, what, is, what does heaven look like? If you can't tell me that, go do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And that's the reality of God's omniscience. God is the only one that is omniscient. And, you know, we shouldn't be leaning so much on our own understanding, but gleaning and trusting in the Lord and drawing everything that we possibly can. It doesn't mean like, all right, I just need to give up, just trust. And, and, you know, that's it. I need outside of myself. I need to draw everything that I can at my grasp so that I can develop a greater understanding and a greater knowledge that then comes from the Lord. You hear that, Joe? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's, a, here's a good question. Now, a lot of people think once they die and hopefully get to heaven that, They'll know everything. They'll once they get to heaven, they will know the answer to all things. And what do you think? Will Impossible. they know everything? Of course not. Impossible. Well, it's it is a, a constant reception, right? Right. That's so, right. But you're not when you die. You're not becoming divinity. You're becoming immortal. You're still a human in heaven, and you will not have uh, divine knowledge of all things. Um, you won't be a superhero. Yeah, sure you are. You'll be in heaven. You're a saint. Mm -hmm. um, but no, you're not going to know everything. You're not going to get the answers to all these questions. Now, when, when we were kids, me and my brother would do this a lot. We're like, uh, whenever we would have like a debate, we're like, no, nah, you're right. No, nope, I'm right. We're like, okay, I bet you, right? $30 and when we get in heaven and we know all things, you owe me in heaven because then we'll know and then we'll, we'll have a final tally of it. <laughs> so I think our plan was flawed. And he's going to owe me money or either actually neither of us are going to owe each other any heaven money. So. <laughs> well, if they're making gold streets there, then they must right. have a some sort of, you know, bank or something. The, heaven, the heavenly <laughs> central bank. bank. The central bank. The central heavenly bank. It's, it, there's a consciousness that is something beyond our capacity to comprehend here. But the, the collective consciousness of what our humanity will reflect in heaven in our union, not only with God, but with all people and the clairvoyance of communication 
that happens between species and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, persons is something that is yet to be experienced. But again, there's, there's different, there's different people out there and different experiences. They've had little tastes of that. You think of the prophetic voice that these great mystics and saints have had Padre Pio, that he could read people's soul and, and sins and speak to them. Right. It, you know, they didn't even have to confess it and where he knew. Mm. And there's different things that I've had in my experience of pastoral care for people where it's just, I know yeah, something. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a privileged knowledge that the Holy Spirit communicates yeah. about somebody in particular. Yeah. So, and, and it's always to the end of me serving to a charitable yeah. end of, of communion. And that consciousness is amplified to a whole nother level because God is actively reinforcing that unity in, in the constant state of what heaven is in eternity. So, I'm thinking about the, our father, you know, uh, you know, as it is in heaven, right? So that you're, you're actually praying to, to be living now on earth as it is in heaven. The divine you know? will. Yeah. Now, a lot of people will say that, uh, what does heaven actually look like now? You know, like we said in Revelation, the streets are paved with gold and as transparent as glass. But a lot of theologians, uh, important ones like Augustine and, and uh, Jerome, they'd say that if you want to look to what heaven is going to be like when you get there, that to look to the the future of the redeemed human race, you have to look to the past of the human race and Adam and that God's original intention for that perfect unity and that perfect uh Paradise is the Garden of Eden, and that is a place of, of, of lush life, of fecundity, of... Great word, fecundity. Fecunda. What does that mean? From under. Fecunda cheese. <laughs> fecunda. It, it means... Um, it's like impre- giving life. Yeah, and, 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 and it has and like a connotation multiply. of pregnancy. It multiplies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that um, the, garden, the Garden of Eden was God's... Well, what God planned for the perfection right. of human life and for the new body so that the garden of Eden will be, um, what you can expect to see is it yeah. now that brings up an important point, which I want to make. Are you going to be, are we going to be naked in heaven? Oh, absolutely. Naked yeah. and unashamed, yeah. unashamed, naked and unashamed. Jesus already gave us a foretaste of that in his crucifixion. He was naked and unashamed, yeah. <laughs> but you know, there were animals in the garden, no, just saying. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, we don't need to go in there. That's well, there has episode. to be food. We still have bodies. Animals in heaven. Do we eat in heaven? <laughs> and if we do, and we eat in heaven, is there meat? And mm-hmm. then what? Do they go to and like just keep on bouncing back in heaven if there is animals? <laughs> That's yeah. why. I think so too- if I slaughter a cow in heaven or a dog, which dogs aren't going to be there. <laughs> There's fruits, right? So what? We're all and vegetarians yeah. in heaven. I believe that. You think so? Berries. The vegetarian lion of Isaiah. So there's no steak in heaven. Vegetarian lion of Isaiah. We don't need to look too far. Vegetarian ve- vegetarianism. Wow. <laughs> I, I need another sip of my kombucha. So there you kombucha. Yeah. So Father, yeah. we're we're all v- vegans. In no, heaven. I, I do believe there's is there, is there's there biblicists. There's biblicists that that uh, hold that position. Very, very emphatically, and they draw on scriptural references to eschatology and eschatological positions that give us a sense of vegetarian. I can't do it. I can't do it. But that we would be vegetarians in heaven. 
Well, then God, and that's where I ascribe my my theological did, opinion. But lean not on your own understanding. I'm still open for argumentation. But did so God in the Garden of Eden before the fall, when things were in perfection, give man dominion over the animals? And wouldn't that dominion include food? Uh, food? Not necessarily. No. No. Not in not not pre It's just dominion. It's not, not pre fall. Like I can I can have. D- think about. I mean, you can have dominion without eating. Okay, like right. a tiger, why would you want it that way? A tiger right. is one of the most untamable creatures yeah. in the in the world. But think about having an awesome. Not if you catch it by the toe. <laughs> <laughs> now that one, you, there wasn't any like subtlety with that. There wasn't. Yeah. So, but you think about. Um, What's the what's the act where they they're with tigers? It's uh, Sigmund Sigmund and Freud. Sigmund and Freud. Yeah. And how many people just want to go see them with the tigers? Because I don't think they do the tigers anymore. I don't think because it was a tiger. You got his head. You got his head. So, but that's the point. It's like the draw is like this man was able to do this. He was able to tame the untamable tiger. Yeah. You know, but think about having dominion and lordship, which the word means that you have a sense of lordship over all of this creation. Not that I want to eat it, but that I want to have a a deep and profound dominion over it. And I know it, I name it, and I speak its own existence participating with God. You know, that that Adam had this role of of speaking its identity. And and now I know this, this creature and I can interact with it perfectly according to its species. What about cheese then? Milk. <laughs> is there cheese and milk? Is is it that's a, that's a very very good question. But I would look at that as a fruit that comes from a tree. So in the same manner. So we're all so in heaven we're all naked vegetarians with amazing colors everywhere. With a big tall glass of milk. Right. With a glass <laughs> of milk. Now. <laughs> so hey guys, that's what heaven's like. All right. Naked that's, vegetarians. Yeah, that's, a well, that was that's a good show. No. So one last thing I wanted to bring up is that um, the Council of Trent. Um, gave four definitive teachings on what the human resurrected (coughs) body in glory will be like. So when you die and you go to heaven, uh, the church was able to define four things that is going to happen to your body. Now, number one is called subtlety, right? And that means that you have the absolute subordination of the body to the soul. So that the the body and the soul are definitely united because that is what a human is. But the soul is so... Um, sorry. Was that you? Yeah. <laughs> my, my pop coming up. Um, the soul is so subordinate to the body that it could pass through walls like Jesus did mm-hmm. in the upper room on um, Pentecost, right? Because the body is guided mm. by the soul in a way that it is not now. So, okay, that's number one. Number two, agility, right? Jesus able was able to ascend to heaven, um, like just up, gone, right? Um, Bam. (laughs) Boom. That's how he did it. Boom. That's what I do. So Aquinas uh, said that human beings will be able to travel in their resurrected resurrected body at will in a wink of an eye. If they want to be there, they're there, right? So that's called agility. Now, the third trait of the resurrected body is called impassibility. And that means that you can't get sick and you can't have any, you won't have any perfections in your body. So your, your feet, Padre? I'm good. No more plantar fasciitis. No more bunions. Yeah. And, and that's also. Your sinuses, Delacross? <laughs> all good. Right. My wonky ankle? No problem. That's all of, all of the preternatural gifts, too. These gifts yeah. that were ascribed to the human person in the garden. 
as well. And, and they are restored and then glorified. Right. And with, with impassibility, you couldn't even stub your toe if you tried. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I kind of going back to the garden, you know, God created this order, space and time for the human person. Like that's not, those, those aren't the qualities of heaven, even though there was perfect union with, with God and man before the, the sin, the, the fall, does that make the garden really like literally the heaven that we're going to? I mean, yep. cause it'll have characteristics. It has it. characteristics, okay. but, but it's, we're going to the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure because I, I so, so the, the state or the least way that I would put it is that the state and the unitive um, relationship between God and right. man and the proper relationship between their, their, their bodies, mm-hmm. which is, you know, no, no, uh, shame of nakedness, no knowledge or desire for sin, but that is the primal state of the human. But in heaven, it'll be the glorified glorified in the new Jerusalem, in the fulfillment of time and passage where there is houses, there is cities, and there are those advancements that are, I guess, innate to the way that human beings congregate. Hmm. Now, last one, the fourth one, the fourth trait of the, of the human body in heaven is glory. Now, we see that in the transfiguration. I'm going to be ripped. Well, no, that would be impassibility. Oh, okay. Because your body's not going to have any perfection. Imperfection. Agility, yeah. Well, no, agility. Agility. Agility is the ability to move anywhere you want at the wink of the eye. Impassibility means you're, you know, peak form, right? So you're thinking ripped like... Adonis. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to be like the temple veil, just all ripped and shredded. (laughs) Now, yeah, the last one is glory. That's like transfiguration. Now, our Lord gave a prefigurement of that in the transfiguration and showed what that is. But also um, on the walk to Emmaus, where they didn't even recognize Jesus until they did the breaking of the bread, that your body is transfigured in a glorified way. And again, that gets back to that light. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that times, uh, you know, I would posit that when people see light, or they see transfigured Lord, it's light. Their mind, the human mind, physically cannot understand that glory and can only see it as light. That in a transfigured body, you'll have the deeper understanding of what that light looks like or means. But to us now, it's just light. Hmm. Because it's accompanied by a heightened intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, the the preternatural gifts are three. It's... Uh, Infused knowledge, absence of concupiscence, and bodily immortality. And, you know, this heightened intellect, this this kind of uh, infused knowledge is something that's exactly how you're describing it, Sheila. It's it, by, by its own uh, experience, by the human person's own experience of light, it is known. Mm-hmm. And that I, I really, really look it's forward infused. to. It's Yeah. Because, I mean, I remember meeting Mother Elvira, who is the foundress of Community Chinacolo, Comunita Chinacolo, which is a community for rehabilitating drug addicts, those who are suffering from severe addictions. And she has houses all over the world. And I met her in Medjugorje a number of years ago, a couple of times. And I remember when I encountered her for the first time and seeing her eyes and looking at her face and she was just filled with light. Her whole head, like behind her head, she just had like that that halo, that glow. And it was one of the most marvelous things I've ever experienced because as she was looking at me and speaking to me, it was as if I was speaking to a living saint. Mm. And um, again, these are little foretastes of, of what the experience is. And she really didn't even have to say any words. 
Yeah. It was just her existence alone that communicated such a powerful message. And I think we've all had experiences like that with different people in our life when we meet somebody super holy. And I think that's where the idea of halo even comes from is this, this encounter with this light that is shining in the world through different mediums and channels, but then ultimately reveals what heaven is exactly about, but it's the constancy of that. And everywhere you turn, the knowledge and experience of light, you know, continues to mold you. All right. So before we use up everyone's entire lifespan with talking about what happens when you die and all these people die because this episode goes too long, mm-hmm. why don't we uh, wrap it up? But first, two things. Number one, make sure go to catholictalkshow.com. You can follow us and subscribe to us there and go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. And just a word of thanks to all of our listeners and viewers. We really really appreciate you supporting us because we'd love to be able to provide this service. And, And for each of us, we've constantly commented on people who privately message us or talk on our on our uh, feeds and our comment sections on various social media platforms. It's beautiful what's happening. And I really appreciate the ability that digital communications provides to the church right now, because Mm -hmm. it's a catalyst for greater evangelization and a sense of solidarity and growing together in the faith. Now, before we all get out of here, Mm -hmm. the Inquisition. Oh, no, I thought I was going to get no, by with that one. No, no, we're not in heaven yet, Padre. You're still on earth. <laughs> and here on earth, there's this, questions to be answered. This may be to my demise, and it may all end right <laughs> no, now. We're, we're gonna, Meet your maker. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make it kind of easy on you. Okay. Okay. Will we eat food in heaven? Will we eat food in heaven? Yes. It's a banquet. Absolutely. And, and that's what I mean. Will we need to eat food in heaven? No. I think I think it is an experience of communion. And fellowship. So a lot of times we eat concupiscently in, in the, in the world because yeah. I need to feast on, on something. Yeah. It's like, it's my dominance over. Well, also over, you die if you don't eat. And you die and there's a, there's a need to, of the, of the human body. But I think. So, but an impassable body does not need to eat food. When it, you, you count like Babette's feast, you count how many times you've had a feast that it was just so memorable and it was just such a great experience of fellowship and communion and conversation and tastes and the wine, the way it tastes, the cheese, the way it tasted, the, the meat and all of that stuff. Like it, it was just a powerful experience. But I, I look at um, not only will you experience the communal essence that we will have in heaven just on a human level, we start to interact with the fruits that come from the trees and our relationship with these fruit bearing plants take is taken to a whole nother level of our experience experiencing being satiated by these plants in particular or these animals that produce something like a milk or a cheese so or almond milk. Yeah, all, uh, <laughs> gross. You were making me hungry there, but yeah. I, I know it's it's lunchtime, kids. Lunchtime, but no, I, I do genuinely believe that it is a banquet, and our interaction with all of the created, uh, you know, fruit-bearing realities in in heaven, its fullness will satiate yeah. us. And but it's it's a greater union and integrity with all those things that there's appreciation and gratitude and connection. Um, that's what I look forward to. That's what I dream of. 
Is that okay? That's good. That's a good answer. answer, Yeah. All right. So while I have a dog on my lap and I'm petting the dog. While you you are naked in all kinds of colors, drinking a large glass of milk with a, not a dog. With my German shepherd next to me. With not a dog. No dog. Almond milk. Yes, yeah, dog. you're drinking a huge glass of almond milk. With <laughs> it's your, overflowing. With your weird naked heaven dog. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well. No, my dog's probably going to have like a, one of those cool sweaters on or something. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll be naked. The dog will have like a cool dog sweater. <laughs> that's vanity. There's no imperfections in heaven. I suppose, yeah. That's There's no dog sweaters in heaven. You're, you're probably right. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding right. and, and may say that I'm wrong about that. All right, well. That's, but not the whole dog's in heaven right. thing. So Stamped. That was fun. Stamped. Well, it was a great episode, guys. And we thank you so much for journeying with us here at the Catholic Talk Show. To the other side of the veil. To the other side of the veil, because God willing, we will each get to heaven together. And that's my prayer for you, our prayers for you. And uh, continue to pray for us. And may God continue to enrich you. And don't be afraid of meditating on your own death. You know, it's an important reality. And just a word of, you know, from Blessed Charles Foucault. Meditate on your own death. Don't be afraid to go to the cemetery. Don't be afraid to walk around and reflect on it. It could bring you great peace and perspective so that your life is directed to greater virtue and to heaven itself. All right. Thanks for listening. Peace. Catch you next episode. See you in heaven, Seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>